Welcome to Conversations with Dr. Jennifer, a collection of interviews on the topics of relationships, sexuality, spirituality, and more, all featuring Dr. Finlayson Fife. Hey everyone, listening to Room for Two will help you see how to take the concepts I talk about in podcast episodes like this one, as well as in my online courses, and apply them to your own life and relationships. Listening to other couples work with me will help you see that you're not alone in your struggles and will show you what you can do to create real change. Click the link in our show notes to learn more about subscribing. Welcome to the On Call with Dr. Dave podcast. And today we are so excited to have our guest on. We're welcoming Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife to the podcast today. We are just huge fans of your work. We were talking before and we've just probably listen to everything you've you've produced. <laughs> and uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you or the work that you do, can you tell a little bit about yourself? Sure. So um, I'm Dr. Jennifer Finlayson Fife. I, um, let's see, I'm, I'm going to give you the concise version, but I got my, <laughs> uh, I got my PhD in counseling psychology and I wrote my dissertation on LDS women and sexual agency. So I was looking at you know, kind of cultural ideology, particularly in a in a patriarchy or a male-run institution, how it shapes women's relationship to themselves and their sexuality. And there's a lot of crossover. We've spoken with some other people too. Medicine is a patriarchy. Medicine is orthodoxy. It was originally mm -hmm. set up by men for men. Even when you do a medical residency, they call it a residency because you live in the hospital. They didn't actually even want married mm -hmm. men. They wanted single men because they had to live in the hospital. So the mm -hmm. way medicine has grown, especially in the United States, is truly an orthodoxy and a patriarchy. And now more mm -hmm. women are getting involved in medicine and things are starting to shift. And it's, it's an interesting time as things are changing, as people start to question, why do we do it this way? And when the only answer is that's because we do it this way because that's the way it's been done. And that's not mm. good enough for a lot of people anymore. So we spoke with a breast surgeon just yesterday. And that was mm. her big thing was kind of breaking down the patriarchy within medicine and really mentoring young women to get into the field. And mm. it's just as you said that, that just reminded me, you know, this is similar to an Orthodox Christian <laughs> system. <laughs> and I think a lot of the same themes are going to apply here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the yeah. system is not set up very well for relationships to thrive. And yeah. as we've um, grown our podcast, we've tried to speak uh, to how our marriage worked through medical mm -hmm. training and how it did not work through medical mm -hmm. training. And yeah. when we found you, we were not in a good place uh, post training. We were staring down the end of that training. And mm -hmm. the one concept that you speak to that really uh, resonated with me was, or I wrestle with is differentiation mm -hmm. and um, how you speak about that and mm -hmm. being two different people in this relationship that thrive, but how do you do that and just end up not just living separate lives? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I think a couple of thoughts. One is that when one person in a couple or two people in a couple for that matter have a very demanding career it is going to challenge the level of intimacy 
of a partnership because so much is asked for of that person to be successful and especially something like surgery or a very high specialization requires hours and hours and years and years of highly demanding training and so it can be very challenging just on the fact of hours alone you know like how much actual time do you have to forge a friendship when you are in effect residing at the hospital for example <laughs> right you know so it's it's um it, it's not really conducive now setting that fact aside for a moment the other factor at play is that when people marry and especially if you've grown up in a traditional culture and a traditional way of thinking about marriage we have often conflicting ideals about what marriage will be and the two really don't go together but we hope they will and that is that we see you know well okay he's going to do he's going to be a doctor that's going to give our family status We're, there's a lot of benefits from him doing that and i'm here to support him the whole way and I'm going to be the backup. The problem is, is if we kind of enter into that, hoping that's going to earn us validation and approval and warmth and appreciation and so on, both people in that may think that, they may be set up for a lot of disappointment. And so what I mean is that a lot of times people are kind of entering into this unthinkingly. They're not really recognizing what it's going to take to support a partner who's going to be in medical training forever okay. <laughs> and you know and, and to really say that like, i'm actually signing on for in many ways being a single parent for in many ways not really having a partner in my life in the day-to-day -day. Mm -hmm. and a lot of people like they want maybe the status of it the recognition of it the economic stability of it but not necessarily the costs that will be there for them personally and so because the that decision is not deliberate on both people's part often and it's more in this model of well that's what a good wife does or yeah of course i need to make good money you know that it sets it up there's often a covert assumption of what should happen the appreciation i'll get the acknowledgement i'll have the desire i'll have because i'm i'm out working so hard that there's often these covert contracts that then erode the happiness of the couple because they didn't sort of sign on deliberately in the beginning both people actually mm -hmm. well and that's an excellent point i wanted to be a surgeon from an early age that was my dream her yeah. dream as far as she's told me was never to marry a doctor you know that she didn't grow up thinking oh i'm gonna marry a doctor she dreamed yeah. of being in business and going in and working and then she married a guy that said i'm going to medical school and then my training because of the way it's set up because of how rigid it is it took her from state to state yeah. away from support away from family yeah. constant moves constant financial stress being home alone and me i'm pursuing the dream i always wanted to pursue yes. and she is just stuck in my dream and as much as i try to be a supportive husband you know like you said hours time limitations my time was basically prescribed for me what i was doing every minute of each day and then i'd get home and I did what I could, or I thought I did what I could. Looking back, there are other choices I could have made in certain cir circumstances, but she didn't sign up for that. She just happened mm -hmm. to marry a guy that chose that. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, and you, your, your own career kind of gets derailed and you kind of end up sacrificing over and over again for someone else's dream because you love them so much. And all the things mm. that kind of solidify an intimacy with couple get put on the back burner for things that demand your time, especially when you yeah. also have children. Um, yes. And like, I, I think that resentment like covertly just kind of creeps in and yes. you don't, it's there before you even know it happened. Yeah. Yes. And I think a piece that can make this more difficult is, you know, as you're saying, like, I just was going to be a surgeon. I just assumed, you know, now I don't know if that's conversations you had before, but like when you grow up in a cultural narrative that men provide and women support, unless something goes terribly wrong, you know, it's kind of like, well, yeah, we're going to have to move to California because that's where I got the residency. You know, it just, it just kind of is like an assumption. Mm -hmm. And yes, women yeah. who also grew up thinking that makes me a good wife can feel like I don't really have a choice except to go along. Yeah. And I don't mean that if they understood they actually have choices, maybe they would still choose the same, but at least they would know it was actually and truly their choice rather than I should. Because mm -hmm. when it's in that kind of entitlement and should that just is culturally given to us, that really drives resentment. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm yeah. here, backup staff for two decades, and there's no appreciation in part because, you know, the man thinks, well, well yeah, that's what my mom did for my dad. And, yeah. you know, and it doesn't make anybody bad. It really doesn't. It's just kind of living out what you've assumed. But then the cost of it is kind of catching up to the marriage often and you know it, it can create a real crisis you know i have mm -hmm. I have a friend who whose husband was like at the height of his career after years and years of training her backing that all up then her raising the kids working you know and then the kids because she was a good mother successfully went on and did many good things but she's now alone without a vocation right <laughs> Her mm -hmm. husband's kind of has all the accolades and so on. And she feels kind of like, you know, I feel just used basically. Like I feel like I I have nothing to show for all I've given and all I've done. And that can really put a marriage into a crisis for a lot of people at that point. Yeah, I can completely feel what what she's feeling because even when you're going through it, um, you don't allow yourself um the family resources to pursue passions mm -hmm. or things outside mm -hmm. because money is so tight and time is right. so tight that you don't even think that you're allowed to yeah. make a demand of your spouse because what you hear is that their entire life is so demanding and you right. don't want to be the person that puts more demand on them. Right. But right. when you don't, you don't share the piece of you that actually keeps you in a right. team. Right. You kind of just end up drifting apart. Well, I'm making decisions because right. I don't want to bug you. You know, exactly. I don't want right. to burden. Exactly. So it, it becomes very easy. And that's not differentiation. Just to go back to your question, Ashley, but, mm -hmm. you know, differentiation is is not just living separate lives. But that is what happens when resentment is high. And, and you know, is that, OK, fine, I'll just go do my own thing. It is also the logistical reality. Like, you know, I the people I love and care about who've done residencies and are 
you know, hours and hours and hours and hours. And when they come back to the home, you don't want to ask them dishes because they are so outstretched. But on the other hand, then there is no crossover into, there's no cross fertilization of shared lives. You know, it becomes very easy yeah. for them to live separate lives. And so part of it is, I think a fundamental limitation of life because I want the surgeon that did neglected his family. <laughs> you know, if you have to have yeah. brain surgery, in some ways you want the one that's highly, highly specialized. On the other hand, that person pays a big price. Um, and so does the family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we definitely, we definitely do. And the things that do get talked about are typically very um, mundane and like logistical tactics. Mm -hmm. There was very little play involved, mm. I feel like, in when we were going through mm. training. And I wonder if you can speak to that, like how important play is in your relationship. Yeah, I think it's incredibly important. And usually what kills it is resentment and exhaustion, right? And <laughs> the exhaustion part, especially if you have children, okay? Yeah. And so both of you are up 24 seven, one doing surgery, the other, you know, keeping children <laughs> alive and so on. There's just so much exhaustion. Okay. But play is a rejuvenation. It's stepping into Eros energy. It's stepping into that sort of life force that kind of wakes us up and gives us a sense of, of the beauty and the good in our lives. But resentment is what kills play more than anything. Mm -hmm. And resentment creeps in pretty fast when you feel alone, when you feel underappreciated. And, you know, I think it takes a lot of deliberate conscious choosing to maintain that level of demand and stay not resentful, right? I'm not saying that's not possible because ultimately you both chose those paths. But mm -hmm. in exhaustion, when you feel underappreciated, when your spouse is more exhausted than you want them to be because you need some comfort, you know, it can be really difficult to find that energy of, I like you and let's go make time to go do something together we really enjoy. Uh, but that is absolutely the bonding energy because, you know, it's, there's no question that the people you do things with, it's easy to be close to. You're working on a project together, you're solving things together. But you can also pick up with good friends at any point, right? You know, you don't have to have brought them through every moment of your life to be friends. As long as there's a genuine valuing of the other person, appreciation for what they do, understanding of why there are limited times of connection and really cherishing those times. But it does make, it does require a shift in what you expect marriage to be if you're in a high demand career. And a change in what you expect marriage to be if you have multiple children, right? I mean, it, yeah. it is, we are human and have finite resources and energy, but that doesn't have to kill friendship as long as expectations and reality are aligned. And I've never really thought about it like that, but I do have friends that I cannot see for a decade or not touch base with very often. And we pick up just as if we were you know, haven't mm -hmm. seen each other yesterday. And you're right, a lot of that's expectations. So when I came mm -hmm. home exhausted, I had expectations about, you know, what the kids would be doing, what food situations would be, or what I would have to do at, at home. 
if mm-hmm. I just worked, you know, 30 hour shift and I came home, I was mm-hmm. expecting to come home to peace and for her to say, of course you've worked 30 hours. Everything is taken care of. Here's some food. And if I come and home, how did like I get kid. so lucky to have you? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and then if I come home and the dishes aren't done and sure. she needs me to help with the kids. And I'm like, I have just been awake for 30 hours. I don't have anything left for this. And yet we are right. a team. So I then resent right. that I am not, she doesn't understand what's what it's like to be me. I don't understand what it's like to be her. And there's right. these expectations. And so I think that's where we set ourselves up for failure was, you know, like I, I shouldn't have had any expectations. And right. I'm I'm easy enough where I can come home and have a bowl of cereal and be happy. It's not like I need a three-course meal or I expect it. And I never wanted a housewife for a wife. I would love that Ashley, when we first met, she was graduating college that week. Yeah. She had a degree. She was going to be a partner. But then just as life happened, it became more like, she was on the team and she had this role on the team and I had this role on the team and we didn't really need to interact all that often to just keep things moving. But mm-hmm. because of that, our relationship suffered. It was like she mm-hmm. was night shift and I was day shift and we'd pass yeah. each other and we'd do a quick touch base. Like what happened? What do you need to know? Mm-hmm. But there was no time for play or we didn't make the time. Yeah, make time. Well, cause yeah, the exhaustion like, and mm-hmm. the resentment and we should have. Yeah. yeah, it would be interesting to go back and relive it now. Yeah, uh, people. <laughs> you I know, I know. Yeah. And one question that you posed a while ago that just stuck with me, it's like, ask yourself what it must be like to be married to you. Mm. And I think about that and mm. that kind of puts things into focus for me about how I show up mm. every day, you know, or where I'm being a little bit uh, bratty mm-hmm. or petulant or mm-hmm. um, all the, all the lovely character defects that I could list on the podcast right now. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it was, I know nothing about bratty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just teasing. I was just yeah. saying to my husband that how bratty I was being yesterday, but anyway, I was. <laughs> we made it through we made it through some of the hard years because we just kind of put our head down and just like marched through them mm-hmm. just expecting well we, we talked about this before but when there's a timeline it's the same mm-hmm. sort of thing like you know there's an exercise guru that says you can do anything for 60 seconds because he would mm-hmm. just say you know do burpees and it's just like it's all it's 60 seconds you can do anything for 60 seconds mm-hmm. and I, we feel the same way about residency and medical school it's mm-hmm. like oh medical school is four years just suck it up and get through the next four years. Well, mm-hmm. residency is only four years. You've done four years. You can do four more. Yeah. Fellowships, two years. Let's right. just get through that. So we kept saying, we'll get to it. Mm-hmm. And then the end of the fellowship, and that was kind of the worst time because I was on call 24-7. So other times I would be on shift, off shift. But this time I was on call for two years straight. So I had a low level of anxiety anytime we went on a date that I could get called away at any moment. Mm -hmm. So I was never fully present. And I was always anxious about my pager going off, about missing something. Well, let's take two cars in case I have to leave. And so I was never at ease for those two years. And it was at the end of the training. And so everything just kind of came to a head where at the end of those two years, we had basically had the worst two years. Mm -hmm. We thought, is this something we want to continue? But you brought up something at the very beginning about making choices when we were just married because that's the way it is and we were supposed to stay married, 
and there's no way mm-hmm. we should get divorced because that's not what good people do. We weren't mm-hmm. happy. And then as mm-hmm. we decided that divorce was definitely an option, right. and then we were choosing to stay together, that mindset for me changed a lot. Yeah, it's a big deal. It is. It, it's the idea that, you know, how to say it, chosen suffering is very, very different than involuntary suffering. And so if you can say like, if, if you can imagine just like the feelings you feel when you're exercising, just suddenly being inflicted upon you and you don't know why you know, and you can't do anything <laughs> to stop it. I mean, you'd be freaking out and the, and the stress would be high. But when you're going and you're choosing that discomfort and you're saying it's what I want, I prefer this discomfort of exercise to the, to the discomfort of not exercising, right? Uh, then you can handle it. You, your mind and body can can take it. In fact, sometimes when I'm doing something difficult, I'll just say to myself, embrace the difficult, just, just lean into it. And strangely, it gets easier. It's the strangest phenomenon because as you resist it or you resent (laughs) it, it gets harder. And so, um, and so when we can be agents, now agency doesn't mean we have any choice we want. That's fantasy land. (laughs) Agency is making choices among our sucky options and the options where every single choice has some downside to it, has some loss connected to it. That's when, because when you're saying, if we went back, maybe we'd be like, I don't know, forget this. And maybe, maybe you would, but on the other hand, as you get a little wiser to life and you realize, you know, there is no world in which people just get everything they want. The problem was I was coming in with an entitled idea. I've worked all day. I showed up. Why isn't everything in order and ready to go? What is your problem? (laughs) And the problem was that working assumption as the kind of I worked hard, I deserve this idea. That was the thing that was ruining your happiness and your wife's happiness more than just being gone. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's instead like, can we actually approach, approach life more wisely that life is about trade-offs and adversity and which difficulty can I choose, um, and feel good about versus which difficulties do I think work against me? Definitely. And like you said, agency or our choices, we don't, we don't have total control of what our choices are, but if we make a choice, even if it has downsides, we at least know we've been the one that's made that choice. And there were alternative choices yeah. that we could have made, but we chose the one that we did. And yeah, I think that's easier to accept the consequences. Yeah, yes. it is. And I can't remember who, who said this, and, but it's not, especially when it comes to running the house, it's not about who does the job. It's about who decides who does the job. Like if it's it's applied or if it's actually decided because like if I'm doing things around the house that I really, really don't like, I am not, I am not the mom to do the science fair thing. I'm just not. (laughs) If Dave can do that, that would be great. But if I told him, if I just said, Hey, you're going to take care of this. And he didn't, he wasn't the decider in that. There's a completely different energy between the two of you when those assumptions, whether they're spoken or not, are just implied. That's right. Even in housework. That's right. Yes. It's everything. And so, you know, I, I, 
have a podcast called Room for Two. And I'm the, the idea is, you know, how do you marriages that thrive, they really do attend to the well-being of both people. Now, that doesn't just mean both have careers. You split housework 50-50 necessarily. It could mean that. But I think what it really means is how do we look after each other, even if we're at different seasons and periods? Because even if you sacrifice heavily for a partner's career, if both understand that is the choice one is made, that, that both are making, well, there's an appreciation in the person who's being sacrificed for. I appreciate what you're giving up for me to live my dream, that you're willing to raise our kids, the thankless work that it can be sometimes. You know, you're you're coming in more with an understanding that you have a responsibility to the well-being of one another. And that when you're given to in that way, you you cherish it, you recognize it for what it is. And you know, you don't because sometimes what happens is like, well, yeah, I'm the one who's done all this and and it's my money. I mean, these not you guys, but I work with couples <laughs> like this, you know, and I'm giving you some of my money and that kind of stuff. And then they wonder why the wife's so resentful. And so <laughs> <on>. <laughs> um, but, you know, th that entitlement infuses the marriage and destroys it. And the entitlement mm -hmm. is what does it much more than the specifics of career and time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then even on my side, some of the resentment came from I wasn't able to go to the school fair. I wasn't able exactly. to be there for my son. And I, I I would have loved to have gone and been there and I couldn't and she could right. and I was stuck at work. So it's not even that, oh, like you, yes. you belong at home and I belong here. Some of the resentment is like, you got to do that and I didn't. And then I'm just kind exactly. of mad I didn't. No, and then yeah, I'm missing true. out on those. Right, like here I am the one who's providing and doing all this and and my wife can both be mad that I'm not there and I am mad that I'm not there, meaning that, that I'm not even allowed to given the demands of the career path I've chosen and mm -hmm. how oftentimes people who take on heavily heavy careers really do miss out in being able to really be witnesses to their kids' lives and influential in their kids' lives and the that they want to be. It's, it, uh, it isn't easy. And, you know, I know someone who's a, a very good heart surgeon and, you know, there's been like a moral compunction for him, like to not retire because he has so much skill, meaning to not retire until he really can't yes, do it anymore mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. he's developed so much skill that he owes it to humanity. But it does mean there's a sacrifice to the amount of pleasure and ease and capacity to travel and so on that he can have because of the morality of that decision, given how skilled he has become. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I totally understand where he's coming from. And I, I reached a breaking point at one time where I just wanted to help everybody at every time. And once I knew I wasn't capable of that, because at one point I didn't know I wasn't capable of that. At one point I mm -hmm. probably thought I really could help everybody and with everybody mm -hmm. that I, I would have time right. for people and be able to. And then once I admitted to myself that I was limited in the time I had and I can't right. help everybody, it helped me push for more time off. It helped me push for yeah, shorter right. work hours because I always said when right. I had, if I had control, I would let myself have more time mm -hmm. with my family. And yet I didn't when I got to that role and it took yeah. another breaking point before I said, no, like I am going to shorten my yeah, clinic hours. I'm going to take less call because as much as I want to help, I can't help everybody. 
and the people I love the most yeah. are suffering the most for that decision. Right. So I think what you're saying is a, is is a version of maturation because I think on the one hand you're recognizing you know, a lot of times people that go into a profession like surgery have a lot of desire to help and to kind of be exceptional at it. And there's kind of a sense of who you are that drives the willingness to do that level of work. And there's some sense of status in it and some sense of, of a self that is kind of maybe like needless and wantless and sort of, um, I don't know, I don't mean to say it in an insulting way at all, but just kind of like a, a self-concept of, of not having limits, limits kind of being an expression of, of yeah. weakness. weakness no, that, yeah. And that's not insulting. That's really how most surgeons think we yes. are without limits. We can always push harder. We can always work harder. We can sleep mm -hmm. less. We can do more. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what the profession pulls for is that kind of person who's willing to put in that level of hours and time and demand. And so to actually get to a place in which you're saying no deliberately, right, is on some ways to recognize the finiteness of your capacity, you know, to influence the world, but also in a way to tolerate taking a step down in the way you look to others and taking a step up in how you are living your actual life, right? So it's a, it's a, it's a measure of not running your life by, by validation and how it all looks and more by how it feels and what is the legacy and the life you actually want to live? And so, I mean, I don't know if it accompanies that developmental process for you, but a lot of times it does when people actually start doing what they say they've been wanting to do, but uh, often it, in reality don't want to do, which is step out of the limelight a little bit and step into some of the more, you know, thankless work of really just, and, and, and you know, maybe less... Um, impressive reality mm -hmm. of just being home and being with kids and, and yeah. a spouse and so on. I mean, and I, it's kind of funny. I say like, you know, when, when you go into this and we, you know, started, we were already married, you were definitely a team going into it, but then you yeah. get there and kind of as a spouse, you a little get, get benched because yeah. they, everybody wants to know yeah. about what he's doing. And because right. it's interesting, my That's day right. in my office is never as interesting as his day in the office. Yes. It just never will be. That's and right. so like that um, one up, one down position yep. that you're speaking of when it comes to this in particular, you do as a spouse, you do feel a one down simply yeah. because of the way people react to right. the kind of profession it is. And so that can really affect your self-esteem as a spouse being like, yeah. I'm never, I'm never going to be measure up to that. I'm never going to okay. measure up to that. And so it, yes. it takes a lot of work to um, convince yourself that you, yeah. that you are Already just as valuable, right. Or just right. as needed. And it Absolutely. helps that much more when you have a spouse that's willing to take, to not view themselves in a one-up position to yes. acknowledge the realities of your life and to be there. That's right with you, yep. um, which can make all the difference, you know, in your relationship. Yes. Yes, definitely. Now, one thing I did want to ask you is, you know, being in medicine and a high intensity job, it's not unique because there are bankers, there are lawyers, there are also yeah. just people that work blue collar jobs that have to work two or three jobs and they're just not as yeah. around, like the limitations on their time and energy are similar and just in less prestigious jobs. So there's a lot of people 
that can probably relate to a lot of these topics. So I don't want to say there's a uniqueness to what we do, but on some level, you said you've known people that have gone through residency. Going into residency, what conversations do you mm. recommend that couples have? I know, and that's a that's a huge yeah. question because I mean that's oh, probably yeah. hours. But like, what are the what are the t key points that you should ask your spouse or your boyfriend girlfriend if they're going into medicine? What should you sit down and really hammer out before you enter that period of your yeah. life? Well, yeah, I think a real recognition of what you're asking if you're the one going into the high demand training and the high demand profession and what it is you're offering if you're going to be the backup to that, right? Uh, and just to be very, very deliberate about the imbalance, how to say it, the high demand of what you're about to do and how it shapes a relationship and your relationship to a family. And to really think through how are you going to feel about that three years in when you're following me to yet another state? But, you know, how are you going to feel when I'm coming home after being gone three days in a row and having no time to help with the kids and just sleep until I get up and leave again? Right. Meaning what are the advantages to you to do that? Meaning what are the advantages for us as a family? to do this and can we think about an escape hatch from this plan <laughs> like if at some point we decide one of us decides that we really cannot do it what would we do because i i think the more you can kind of anticipate we are stepping into something um that can be very stressful on marriages that can be very stressful on partnerships the more deliberately you can choose it and understand why you want to do it because you know, a partner can also say, I value what you will be doing and I can value it enough as long as you don't get into some idea that it's you, you know, that's so great, but that, you know, we are supporting you creating this for humanity, for society, for our family, but that we stay clear about our sense of partnership in making this possible. You know, so I think it's going in with that expectation. That's a collaborative conversation. And collaborative mm -hmm. is we have a shared goal. Now, it might not be, oh, I have the goal of marrying somebody who's a surgeon. It doesn't have to be that. But you can say, well, I love someone who wants to be a surgeon. And that then shapes my goals. It doesn't mean I just do what he wants, but how do I accommodate somebody who has a dream like that? What does it mean for me? What's possible? What can I offer? And that's what collaboration is, that you get a shared objective and a shared goal, and then you each do your part in creating it. But, you know, that may also include how do you handle being a surgeon and what role would you have in a family? Because I don't want to have children if you are unable ever to be there. Right. So, so it's just these deliberate conversations about what that's going to be like and how do we stay partners in the decision? And at what point could I pursue my career interests? When do we think that would make sense? And what if you're so good at it, there is no time? What do we do then? Uh, you know, just mm -hmm. kind of anticipating and thinking through what is our shared goal as a couple and how do we do this and what do we do when it stop if it doesn't continue to work for one or both of us just that deliberate preemptive conversation can be very very helpful for people i agree and listening to what it's like that's one of the things we're trying to do is we're trying to tell people what it really is like to do it because 
before we went to medical school, you just hear you're not going to be around, your time's going to be limited. You don't really know what that means. You don't really know what yeah. you're getting yourself into. You don't into. know how it feels either. Yeah, you don't know how it That's feels. Right. But so we're trying to give people a clear right. picture of what it's like. And sometimes we focus on the things we did wrong. I do want to mm -hmm. highlight one of the things Ashley did very, very well in our marriage and our relationship is anytime I got called into the hospital, she would turn to the kids and say, isn't it great that your dad gets to go help someone? So mm -hmm. it was never, right. he's going again, or oh, he's not going to yeah. be there. Every time with the kids, especially, no matter what she was feeling about it, she was very clear with the kids that we are lucky that your dad can go help someone. And that made a world of difference yeah. with the kids, never feeling like I wasn't there because yeah. of anything other than I yes. was there to help. It, it was, just it was, it was just a job. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it was also inviting them into a sense of a sacrifice that they're, you know, part of that. Yes, they'd like dad there, but we feel good about dad going and, and helping. I mean, it just, it kind of gives a purpose to that suffering for them actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think one time you even said, aren't we lucky that we get to share our dad with people that need him too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, mm -hmm. like we get to see him all the time, but somebody needs him right now. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that was always very helpful because I, I knew the kids were sitting there mad that I wasn't there. And so that always gave me peace of mind, knowing that the kids were almost excited that their dad was, you know, superhero, you know, the bat symbols yeah. up and <laughs> I'm driving to the hospital to help somebody like the calls yeah. been put out and I'm showing up. So, I mean, the last yeah. thing I would ever want is any resentment that I harbored or I felt to be transferred onto my children. I mean, that's yeah. something they don't, they don't ask for. And it's something that is very unfair to to pass along for someone who's trying to do something monumental yes. and good for yeah you know the world yeah um right exactly i didn't want that that's good so. that's very good yeah. yeah now we've kept you here for about an hour and i know your time is valuable <laughs> so i don't want to keep you on too much longer any closing thoughts for us i i think my closing thought would be that sort of to some of the themes we've talked about, but one of the, the most challenging realities of marriage is just the covert entitlements that we bring into marriage. And I don't mean that you can't have expectations for being treated well or that you can't have boundaries and so on, of course, but more that a lot of times what erodes is this idea that it shouldn't be this way. You should be here. You, you know, it, it shouldn't be this way. We should have time for each other. We should always have time for two careers. We should. And a lot of times it's this uh, kind of unenforceable demand that we make on life and marriage that actually keeps us from accepting the inherent limits of being human and having to determine where we're going to put our finite energy in infinite realities and in infinite possibilities. I think it just helps because if we can strip down the expectations a little bit in marriage, we tend to do better with it. We tend to not <laughs> tend to have more to appreciate. You know, I, you know, I was saying to my sibling recently, like, think about how much demand there is even on a marriage for a woman who thinks drastically different than a man. And they're supposed to get together and feel good about each other at all times and want to have sex in similar times. <laughs> <laughs> It's a yeah. big ask, you know? That is a and big ask. And when it's not happening, we're like, what the heck is the matter with you? Rather than this is, we're just living in the limitations of life. Now, I don't mean that you can't have ideals and you can't grow, but part of the way we grow is in some ways to accept the limitations and drop some of our entitlement 
and think about how do we make this better? How do we be kinder to one another? How do we do good in the world, but also do good to each other? And how can I grow to be more able to bridge that gap? Because I think when we start there a little more, we appreciate more, we're grateful for more, we're entitled to less, we give better, we receive better, you know, and it, it's just important to kind of challenge some of our 25-year-old assumptions we had when we were 25, yes. you know. <laughs> um, Dr. Jennifer, yeah. I know that every time I listen to you, I feel like I can show up in my relationship more mature and fair and loving. So mm -hmm. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, we ask that you please rate, review, and share the podcast so that more people can find and benefit from Dr. Jennifer's work.